Thank you for tuning in at Ravenna Assembly of God. We hope you enjoy this message and are blessed from it. If you want to tune in to more messages, log on to RavennaAG.com and search under the Media tab. Thank you and God bless. Those are done. <laughs> so this morning, I want to start out on a series that will be dealing with relationship. But primarily, it's going to focus on a relationship between us and him, which is the chief and the key relationship that I refer to because I really don't believe that we can have the relationship we need to with our spouses or our significant friends uh, that we might be dating or going through, whether it's high school or, you know, it does, it, it's, it, we're not going to have the relationship that needs to be had until we've had that relationship with him. Not just that, but to understand that relationship. And sometimes it can be tough. So before we get started this morning, I'm going to ask for you to take a look at this video. No, just move my appointments. I'm running late. No, I'll explain it when I get there. Yeah, yeah, I'm frustrated. What, what else do you want me to say? I don't know what he asked you, but I 
can tell you this, that's just Jesus. I mean, he looks into people's eyes and he knows what they got to give up. Everybody holds on to something. Come on, just come back with me, okay? We can work it out. We can talk this out. If you don't have a chance, how do any of us have a chance? to the lie but into the lie I just can't I want you to notice something there that that was a deliberate actual choice that was being made how many know that God doesn't make us do things we have our free will. He has sovereignly chosen not to interfere with that will. So each of us make our choices, and guess what? We will be held accountable for those choices. That's why I want to talk about this topic right here. And it's very simply entitled this morning as, What Does It Mean to You? What does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean to you? Now, I want to pick this up in Corinthians in just a moment, but let me say, first of all, notice it's 1 Corinthians. Just a reminder on a quick history lesson here that Paul is writing to the Corinthians, but it was the Corinthians who are responding to him to begin with. There are actually three Corinthian letters that were written, and we don't have the one. We just, the first one, we have the second and the third one. Basically, the Holy Spirit saying it's none of our business what the first one said. So we have the second, and but what what you have is Paul responding to the Corinthians in reference to a lot of what they shared with him in their note. So you have to be able to take a look at it and decipher it within Corinthians to make sure that you understand that this isn't Paul speaking; it's Paul quoting what they said. So. For example, when you get back into chapter 14, or maybe it's 15, it doesn't matter. You know the verse, women keep silent in the church. If you have any questions, ask your husband when you get home. Right? And how many preachers do you hear preach that? None. Why? Because they don't have the guts. That's why. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, because what it is, is the Corinthians are the ones who believed that, who stated that, you know, along with gifts and everything. It, 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 here, they've written that, and Paul's responding, because if you read down, you'll, say, you'll see what Paul writes in response to that. He says, did the Spirit of God come, did the Word of God come to you only? Was it only your ears that heard this? You know, he, he goes into saying, hey, guys, you know, there's, there's, there's something going on here called immaturity. And so they're the only group throughout the entire scriptures that have to be instructed on how to take communion. No one else. They have to be instructed in the gifts of the spirits. No one else. But thank God for them because if 
they hadn't been written to in that sense and been in that, we wouldn't have what we have today as far as our instruction through the Scripture. So God does know what He's doing, amen? And so in that light of that, I would like for us to take just a, a moment to take a look at these Scriptures that are here. So first of all, in Corinthians chapter 6, you have these, these Scriptures. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You hear me talk about this all the time. We are vitally united to him, made one spirit. So my spirit and his spirit have been joined together. Amen? Now, uh, how, how does that work, Pastor? I don't have a clue. All I know is that it happens. It works. It's the way it is. I've explained it many times before as a, as a, as a cup of hot water and a tea bag over here. And you take that tea bag and you stick it in the hot water. What happens to the water and the tea? They fuse together. They're still separate, but there's been a fusing that's taken place. So no longer is the water called water. It's called what? Tea. But the tea's in the bag. No longer is the water clear. It's been changed. It's, it's now brown. And no longer does it taste like just plain old water. It tastes like what? Boy, you guys are so smart. Just, it's going to be easy. Yeah, exactly. There's been that transformation that has taken place because of a fusion that has taken place in that tea. And the same thing has taken place in you and me as a result of Christ and His Spirit becoming one with our spirit when we said yes to Him, when we asked Him to forgive us with what He purchased for what He accomplished for us, so much so that we're no longer dead, we're alive. No, no longer does sin have dominion over us. We've been set free. We are no longer defeated, but now more than conquerors through him who has loved us. And nothing is going to separate us from that love. I can go on and on and make it a long subject and, and aspect, but enough to begin to realize and to ask you that question what does it mean to you when the reality of it is that you and I have been joined to Christ? Where does that take place? In your head? No. How many know we can be joined to Christ and still do dumb things? I keep telling my wife, I'm. Oh, my wife. Hello. Today is our 45th wedding anniversary. And we have plans to celebrate it by just going home after church today. After 45 years, you know. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. There, there, are, there are days to come. There are days to come. Take a look at verse 19. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, you are not joined in your head with his spirit. You are not joined in your body with his spirit. You are joined with your spirit in his spirit. That's where you become one. So our biggest problem usually ends up coming from the fact that we don't know that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he dwells within us from that understanding that he is joined to us, but to also understand and comprehend the reality here that (laughs) it is our spirit that should lead us and not our heads. We, We try so valiantly to figure out God, to figure out the walk of life, to figure out what we're supposed to be doing, to take it in and discipline our minds, to walk in the ways that we should walk and do what we should. Hey, you know, I understand wills, and I understand choices, but this is a simple choice of choosing head over spirit. Are you saying we're not supposed to use our head? Well, why start now? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And are we, why not, you, yes, you're supposed to use the head that God gave you, but your head should be ruled by your spirit. It's spirit, mind, and body, friend. That's called right alignment. Whenever the, the mind rules over the spirit, you're going to have a problem, and you're going to find yourself out of alignment, out of the, the, the alignment that God has designed, and, and exposed to attack of the enemy. Now, I don't want to get in too much there, but I want to come back to this, 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 this important question. What does it mean to you that Christ lives in you? Not up there. He's there. Not out there. And he's out there. He's omnipresent. But his spirit has been joined to your spirit You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means he lives in you. So what what does it mean to you? Now, I'll say this, and please remember this, because it's a premise of where we'll be going. But remember, choices lead to a journey. Choices lead to a journey. So it's not a matter of being on the journey with Christ. I don't care what it is, if you've made, you've made a choice, and that choice, whatever it might be for Christ or not, leads you to a journey. So it comes back to the same question, where is your journey taking you? What direction are you going in right now? I, I mean, it's one thing to be like an Abraham, okay, and not knowing where you're going, having been called out, so to speak, and and that, that in itself is a journey of faith. But where's your journey in Christ taking you? What, what, what does it mean to you that Christ lives in you? I want to challenge you with that this morning. I don't want you just to go about like he's just, you know, he's out there, he saved me, someday I'll be with him. No, you're with him now. What difference does it make? Let, let me rephrase that. How aware of you, how aware of you, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm aware of you, yeah. How aware are you that Christ 
is in you? How aware are you that Christ is, is, is in you? Now, there's another book in the Bible. Well, it's not a book. It's an epistle. It's about the closest to a book that Paul ever wrote. It's called the Epistle of Romans. And he's writing to them, Rome, the Christians in Rome were melting pots. It's kind of like New York City. You know, you go a couple blocks down the road, you're in Chinatown, then you go to another town, and you're, you've got so many different, you know, you've got every ethnic areas that are, it's exactly what Rome was like. And the church was made up of a bunch of, of, of people that were from all these different cultures and all these different backgrounds. And so they, they come together to celebrate God, and they come with all these different mindsets, these different ways of thinking and understanding. And, and Paul is encouraging him, them here, but, but at the same time, you know, these people are going through some nasty fights because they look at each other and say, how can you be a Christian and do that? You know, you've got these Christians that drink this, these Christians that drink that, and then you've got these Christians who only drink water. And then you've got these believers who, who eat uh, filet mignon that was, that was offered to idols. How can you do that? You know, and, and, and you know what Paul says, just don't tell me where it comes from. Just give it to me. That, 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 see, there's so many different things. It's like we're, we're layering on almost a cult type of understanding that it's Christ plus not eating meat from being offered to idols. No, 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 no. It's Christ plus nothing. You don't add to what Christ has done. He's done it all. It's already done. Now, I believe Christ changes us over a period. Our, our, our understandings, our desires, they shift and change because we're on a journey, but our choices do matter. And as I go into this, I, I want us to understand it's not a, about a rest in rules and regulations with the church. It's a rest in Him, who He is, what He's done, and receiving of that. Now, now friend, uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, so enough for that. Let me, let me just get into the Scripture here in Romans 8. It says this, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who what? There you go. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. That's huge that we understand this. What's Paul saying here? Well, let's get down to some Bracks tax. That this life, honestly, is a series of choices. Amen? Every day is a series of choices that we make. And, and, and I say that because choices, the choices you and I make, lead to what we do. They lead to our behaviors. Sorry, I'm just thinking about some grandchildren that don't necessarily make the right choices. They have a tit in their mind. I'm not going there right now. But see, let, let me just say that. It, it's it's under, understanding that this life, very simply, is a series of choices. Choices that lead to our behaviors. And, 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 
and the way that we live our life. Do you hear that? The way we live our lives. Behavior that leads to death and behavior that leads to life. Can I be honest with you this morning? I hope so. God's will for you is to live. Oh, but, but, but the choices that we make are ours. Now, let me remind us that choices are simply made from our values, what we value. And, and, and values are whatever you place importance on in your life, not what you think should be important, but what's important to you. There's a lot of people who believe that think they have good values because of what they believe should be important in their lives. Got news for you. Values are whatever you place importance on in your life. If you, if you place importance on God, your life is going to reflect that. If, if your importance is on that relationship that you have with him, let me, let me tell you something. Uh, honestly, you know, would your relationship with your spouse sur- survive? I'm sorry, would your, mm-hmm, would your relationship with your spouse survive it was, if it was the same relationship that you have with God. And, and I only say that to pull out this reality on this, that, that, that our choices matter. Values can change. And when they do, we do. And, and, and we change. So what does it mean to us that Christ lives in us? How aware am I that Christ is living in me? Or have I just kind of pushed him out of the way? I, I want to I, I get into this understanding of relationship with him. I, I'm talking about, <laughs> it's almost like he's saying to, to the church of Laodicea again, you, you know, you, you've lost your first love. You got to return. And, and the reason I bring this stuff up, friend, is because in a day and an age in which we're living, with the COVID, with the isolations, with the changes, with not even knowing who the person is that you're talking to because of the mask on them, I hate that. We have found ourselves in a place where we have increased instead of decreasing. We've been all about ourselves. We've kind of lost what we have been doing and the direction we have been going, and we become more focused not on what's in us, but what surrounds us. We become apathetic. We, we don't do as much. We're not doing what we even came close to doing before. We, we get focused... We, you know, we've streamed more Netflix movies than we ever have in our lives. We're, 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 just, we're, just, we're just sort of toning it way down because we want to be safe. And I agree with that, but at the same time, what are other choices that we're making? So for, for many, uh, I believe that right now we're living in a place 
where we've become or we've reduced ourselves to a place of what I would call surface Christians. The surface Christian life. It's, 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 it's the life that scratches at the surface. And, 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 and the reality of, of what that life is, is number one, surface Christians live on and see only what's on top. They're, they're looking at what's there, what's on top, and that's exactly how they're living according to what they see. They, they live from and see only results. And, and, that's what, and not what is behind the results. See, we see a mountain. And we look at that mountain and we fret over the mountain and it, it's a big problem, that mountain being there. But, we're, but what, what put the mountain there to begin with? What was the enemy that came along and established this thing? If there's one thing COVID's reminding me of is that I have a war with the enemy that I'm waging. This just isn't something that's out there. I still believe, and you might think I'm crazy and weird and all that other stuff. That's okay. I can assure you I am. But I honestly believe that the spiritual realm influences and causes what we see happen in the physical realm. And this is not just something that's happening. I believe there's entities at work that you and I are needing to stand up against and praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. I'm not saying it won't affect you. I'm saying we're in the world. We're going to be affected by the world. But we're not of the world. So the reality here is we are in a battle whether we like this or not. And we just settle back, oh man, and we complain. We, we compare who's worse, Trump or Biden. You know, I can start a political war in this, this house, nothing flat. Don't need to. What's behind that thinking? Where's that thinking coming from? What's coloring the way we say things, the way we do things, the way we talk about things, the way we post things? What, what's behind that attitude, that mentality, what's happening there? And, and, and friend, it's because we're living from results, we see the results, it's, it's what consumes us, surrounds us. Surface Christians live from their hurts, their disappointments, even sometimes their anger. And, 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 and they also live from that which they've placed importance on. Not what should be. When, when conflict hits us, or the offender offends us, or, or, or the elections don't turn out the way, and, and the words you choose out of those times will bring life, or they will bring death. Some, how could they? How could this have happened? And then we say things like, where's God when he really should be moving here? I, you know, did, but, but, but. And we just go off on so. Look, friend, please, <laughs> what difference does it make that he's living in you? And <sighs> the reason I say that is because when things happen, and guess what? Things are going to happen. We're going to walk through situations, issues. I'm tired of wearing a mask in Walmart. 
seeing the guy standing there as they come in with a big old pack on his back and a spray hose going on all the carts, wrapping my hands around them and going, ooh, it's all wet. But it's for me, right? I'm tired of what we've been put into as far as limitations, but I'm going to say this again. Make sure you're confronting the right problem. Okay, you're not confronting Walmart. Okay, they're not the problem. You're not not confronting Fauci. He's not the problem. Uh, No sound effects, please. Our Our political government is not the problem. It is, however, I believe, under attack by weapons and warfare that we don't see. But what difference does that make to us? We just complain whether it's good or bad, whether we get the you know, stimulus money or we don't, whether the government can spend another $2 trillion. You know, it, we get all wrapped up in this stuff. And the truth is, friend, that has nothing. We're looking at the results and the outcomes What's behind it? And you and I are in a warfare that cannot be lost. But the truth is, he has limited himself to our free will. So what difference does it make that Christ lives in you? Because your choices do matter. Okay, let's let's get into this. Let let me just just start with this. Um, When I say make sure you are confronting the right problem, I also want to make sure that you understand, see the person as a person, not a problem. Ouch. See the person, other person. See that one as a person. They're made in the image of God just like you are. See them as a person, an object of God's love, not the problem. Very easy to get sucked into that and develop that anger and that bitterness and that hate towards a person when God's still loving them because he created them. We don't see what's behind the behavior that's taking place. Okay, let me just throw out a couple things. Here's, here's some signs that you are, are, are dealing with uh, with the problem in the wrong way. It comes from the flesh. I'll put it that way. So, signs that you're dealing with the wrong problem. Let's put it that way. So, number one, your solution doesn't get you what you really want. (laughs) Your solution doesn't really get you what you want. Number two, you're constantly discussing the same issue. Well, this is where you're able to turn to the person beside you and go, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And number three, you're getting increasingly upset. Hello. Now, these are things that rise out of the flesh. The The solution doesn't get you what you really want. In other words, you think if this happens, then you'll feel better. No, you won't. Or if you get a hold of this, at least then you'll have a... No, you won't. 
Because the solution you're looking at isn't going to change a thing. And you're constantly, constantly, I mean, people are, are starting to not want to be around you because you keep bringing up the same stuff. You're not over it. I mean, yeah, right. You can say, but look, you're, you're, you're getting increasingly upset. These are signs that you're dealing with the wrong problem. You need to confront the, 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 the right issue. The problem is we can't get past our emotional reactions. It's called surface living, friend. It's what's on top. So, so I like to tell people what the Bible does, and that is to check your wellspring. What's your wellspring? Somebody got it. Yeah. It's your heart. It's your wellspring. What flows out of that wellspring? Now, let, let's, let's turn it around then, and let's take a look on the spiritual side of things. In, in essence, what we're looking at here, because number one, we need to take time to unbundle the problem. How many know that when you get immediately hit with a problem, <laughs> you, you just, you just want to wanna react to it, right? Rather than act on it. One of my prayers, especially over my family, is that they'll know wisdom, not impulse. Understanding instead of reaction. I pray that every morning over them. Because it's, it's it, the, I mean, emotionally we get hit by what people do, say, conditions, everything else, and we just want to do what? <laughs> Explode. Somebody says something, somebody does something, you just want to get in their face and let them know how much more you're bigger than that. Yeah. Well, see, that's the whole thing. We, we start getting in there and we react. And a lot of times, a lot of things get clouded when we're really dealing with one thing. So you got all these things that are happening and you can bing, 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 but we need to unbundle them. Because in there, in that bundle, is the one reason that's precipitating all of this. When you begin to look through the things that Paul talks about that we should abstain from or, or move from or that we should not be, you know, and you're going to find that as you go through those lists, you can find the grandfather in there. And you can begin to take a look at that and know that that is the one place that needs to be focused on for everything else to fall in its place. So take time to unbundle the problem. Number two is to decide what it is that's bothering you the most. Otherwise, you'll go after the wrong target or maybe even too many targets. But sometimes you've got to take a yield, a, a time out. I'm not saying you don't deal with it. I'm not saying you, know, you, you just walk away from it. On the contrary. But you need to know wisdom and understanding as the enemy comes in and does what he does and, and the way we've sat down and just slipped into apathy and mediocrity and everything else that goes along with this, I'm saying this is a time for the church to rise up and to go forward and take back what has been stolen and to understand that in doing so, we just don't, out, go, don't go out carte blanche and take everything on at one time. We need to take a look and stop and decide what that is that's bothering us the most. The enemy knows what button he's pushing. And begin to literally go after 
that target rather than the wrong target. The third one is to be concise, or yeah, to, to, to be con, con, cons, it's not concession, excessive. Concisiveness is what it's supposed, you, you know, it's at 5.30 in the morning, they always don't come out the way you hope they would. Bring it to a single sentence before, in other words, that's the concisiveness I'm talking about. Bring it to whatever it is, bring it to a one sentence single sentence before you talk. Friend, if you have to stand there for 20 minutes, then guess what's going to happen? Take it to a sentence, man. In in other words, as the Spirit informs, the Spirit's not going to, it's just going to simply rise up. This, This is what I'm talking about. Take the time to prayerfully understand the problem. Unbundle it and decide what it is. Let the Spirit lead you in understanding what's bothering you the most here. And all the times, he'll deal with you right on the spot so it's not a matter of it even bothering you anymore. You realize what you're up against, what's really behind the results that you're seeing and walking through. So again, it it, it really is understanding who lives in us, who is joined to us. Do we really understand that and begin to walk in that and live in that. So again, number one, service Christians live from and see only what's on top. The second thing is that surface Christians only do surface work. You know, there's an old statement out there that says, you know, about 20% of the people in the church uh, do 100% of all the work. And, and, you know, I, can't not, I can honestly say that in this church, that's not necessarily the case. This church is a very active church. Its church really works together and does things. Like, like yesterday in the funeral with, with Donnie Neal and, and the people of our house that just come together, you know, masks all put together, putting up tables, sweeping, preparing food, doing all these types of things, and, and all wearing masks. And, you know, they're, they're taught, they good fellowship too, but the truth of the matter is, I think one of the main reasons that we have that kind of uh, uh, cooperation with people is because the desserts are phenomenal. <laughs> okay, I better go on. But, but it's true that, that, that surface Christians only do surface work. And what's interesting is even though they do surface work, there's this thirst for approval, okay? There's a huge thirst that, you know, you, you know what they did. You, you know that they accomplished this. You know that they were a part of this. And so, you, you know, you're dealing with it. And, and it's the old, there's this, this adage. You can see it right there. I have it abbreviated. I said it before. It was a long time ago, but I'm saying it again today. It's W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? That's what it comes down to with surface Christians who do surface work because it is usually about more them than it is him. And I'll say this again. We live from our values, friend. We, we, we live from what we believe is... is and, and, and I'm just saying that surface Christians live from what... live from and see only what's on top as well as they only do surface work. Very quickly that... Number three, 
And that is that service Christians live from self-imposed limit actions, limited actions. Service Christians live from self-imposed limited actions. There's a saying I'll use that I picked up off of an old friend who's gone on to be home, gone on to be with the Lord. He, he was, matter of fact, he was the custodian for years over at Springfield Assembly of God. He'd, he'd, he'd get done with some project and say, I just gave that a lick and a promise. You know, gave it a lick and promised to do it better next time. You know, say that every week at my house. I'm just giving a lick and a promise. But that, that you know, the truth of the matter is, is, is that we live as surface Christians from a self-imposed limited action. Our Christian life has come down to more or less a lick and a promise. Oh, we'll do this much, but we promise to do it better next time. We promise to pray over our meals, but we'll pray in the morning too maybe, huh? Or, or, or you know, you can add the list. You can make up things as you go along. But you know in your spirit what I'm talking about when I talk about a lick and a promise when it comes to our life and our relationship with Him. Do we really know who we're joined to? Do we understand that? We so many times only focus into, uh, you know, uh, fulfilling my obligations. As a believer, you know, I'll fulfill my ob- obligation. I'll do this much for God in the morning, and, and you know, I'll pray over my meals. And, and, but the rest of the day, I'm living pretty much for myself. Or, you know, or make sure I go to church on Sunday. I know I'm preaching only to the choir here. I appreciate you. I love you. I'm not preaching to you. I'm talking to something else. Well, I'm just, share, you know, we'll fulfill our hour, hour and a half obligation on church on Sunday morning if pastor's not too long-winded. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll tip God with, you know, something we pull out of our wallet to try to feel good about our obligation, our obligation as a believer. Look, we begin to develop sacrifices instead of obedience, and that's not what God is looking for. You know, it always... Have you ever... <laughs> I keep thinking of the story of John Brevere. I've shared that with you before. He's a, he's a you know, poor guy's a Dallas Cowboy fan. But he was on a Sunday afternoon sitting on his couch watching the Dallas football team play. And there was just a little bit of time left. And God spoke to him and said, I need you to go pray now. Okay, God, I'll do that. Just as soon as the game's over. There's only two minutes left. As soon as it's done, and you guys know how long two minutes can be in a football game. But he said, you know, God, then I'll be in there and I'll pray for hours, not about, no matter. He said, I need you to go pray now. I will, God, in just a little bit. Just give, give me a couple minutes here. And after the game's over, he just gets together, shuts TV off, gets up, walks into the bedroom, kneels down to pray, and God says, uh-uh, I, I don't need your sacrifice. I, I need your obedience. And friend, that's where a lot of us are at, is that we're, we're offering God all this. I'll pray for hours, God. God's not concerned with your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. 
when he calls you to pray, it could be for 30 seconds. I'll pray for hours, God. Well, no, you won't. Probably. But we're looking at sacrifice. He'll be impressed with that, right? And, and, and I just say this because surface Christians who live from self-imposed limited actions, they, they never invest. They only ever tip. That's all they ever do. And I'm saying this not to beat anybody over the head. I'm not a beat over the head kind of pastor. I'm saying that in the culture and the demands of life that we're living in today, the enemy can bring us to a point where we, just like the video expressed, believe the lie and we settle for less rather than more. If God's abundant, then God is abundant through a pandemic as well as when there's no pandemic. Well, the pandemic's limiting us. We're losing this and everything. And I understand that. I get that. It's impacting from the world. But my God is still an abundant God. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed out begging for bread. Because <laughs> I like that. I kind of, that's pretty good. And you know, understand, God's values are different than ours. He values us based on his own character, not ours. And, and, and what, what does it mean to you that Christ lives in you? How aware of, are we of that, that he's joined to us? See, when, when you're an early Christian, I realize that it takes a little bit of time. The, the, the beginner Christian, the, the baby Christian, the, the new Christian realizes that God's for them. God cares for them. God died for them. God does for them. God blesses them. And, 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 it's, and it's neat to watch them realize that they're loved. But friend, there reaches a point where we begin to mature in that and understand that God is not just for us. He's in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where does he live? Inside us. He's imparted. His life is imparted by the Holy Spirit who's with us, in us. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'll, I'll continue to, to, to remind us, friend, that during this time, we can slip back to a point where we are no longer a threat to the enemy, where we are no longer seeing this world turned upside down for the kingdom of God. But I come back to this and ask the question, in order to just not say, hey, you guy's doing the wrong thing, not living where you should be. I'm not saying that. I'm, ask, I'm looking at what's behind where things are at not right now with so many of us by simply asking the question, how aware are we that Christ is in us? And that it's not me that needs to be making the choice, it's we that need to make the choice together. 
to be led of the Spirit. So I ask you, the bottom line is, the way that we, we see people, the way that we see things, the way that we see life, the choices we make, the, the changes in our lives. Friend, because I'm going to tell you right now, without growth in our lives. And there's a lot of people there. I mean, really, are we the same today as we were five years ago? Two years ago? Twenty years ago? Uh, let's look at these last two verses again one more time. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him that we may, be, that we may also be glorified together. I'm, I'm wanting to challenge you this morning. Do you know who you are in Christ and Christ in you? Oh, you're the pastor. Then what difference does it make? What difference is taking place day after day Time after time. I believe the Spirit of God is dealing with this house again in the preparation to bring her to the place with what he has planned for her. We've seen some awesome things over the years. We've watched as things have taken place. I believe there's a new wave that's coming in. Some new things that are going on. I'm not jumping to any conclusions. I'm not trying to get a hold of ahead of God in any direction. When he calls us to something, we're going to do something. And you'll know it in your own spirit because guess what? You know you're joined with him and you bear witness as well. But I want to challenge you this morning to know who he is in you. To realize the difference it does make. It, it, it just does. I don't say the things that I would normally say. I, I don't see the way I usually would see. Have I achieved sainthood? Well, yes. Okay, maybe not. But the reality is every day is a new day. Every day is a new morning. Every day there's a new potential. Every day there's a new opportunity. Every day there's more he wants to reveal. Every day there's more he wants to show. Every day he's calling you to purpose. Every day he's raising you up. He's putting you in places. He is allowing, he is talking, he is sharing through you. He is bringing people across your path. There are things that he's called you to be a part of that you never dreamt you'd be a part of, but yet he's using you as a, as a, as a point of action. Oh man, there's so much here, and it's day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, but realize. What difference does it make? If it doesn't seem to be making any difference, 
then I would ask you simply, what are you placing importance on? What's important in your life? Take a look at it. Because he has a way of convicting us without condemning us. Lord, I thank you for this morning and for your word. Thank you for what you've been sharing with us and talking with us about. And I know, Lord, that this is only a beginning. It's not an ending. And so I pray that you will, in this place this morning, reach out, touch, surround, and love. Let this be a morning where that relationship with you means more than it ever did before. That Christ lives in us. And Holy Spirit, challenge us in our choices. I pray. And yet with every head bowed, let me ask this question this morning. When it comes to choices that we make, I will not take for granted at any time that as we gather together, there's not one person that doesn't know a relationship with Christ and what he's done. And for you to simply say yes to receive of what he's done for you, what he's purchased for you, it's not about you accomplishing anything or becoming something or doing the right stuff. You don't merit or earn this stuff. And the truth of the matter is, it's about what he's done for you. So this morning, there's a simple invitation to have a relationship with him by simply saying yes to his love, and the forgiveness he's purchased. And so if you're in this place this morning and you know that your life is not right with God, and you know that doing this life, well, I've made some headway it seems, but it's still as empty as the day is long. And the reality is what's confronting me right now, I, well, you just know that you can't do this life without him. And so this morning, if you're making that choice to say yes to a relationship with him, to have him come into your life and join his spirit to your spirit and to know that forgiveness that he is, would you affirm that yes? Would you affirm that choice that you're making this morning simply by putting an action to that choice, like just slipping up your hand right where you're at? I, I want to be able to pray with you this morning. Is there one here this morning who would say, Pastor, I'm making that choice this morning. I want that relationship with him. I'm saying yes to Jesus. If there be that one here this morning, would you just slip your hand up right where you're at? I, don't, I, I just want to pray with you right where you sit this morning. Amen. Amen. Lord, I, I thank you again for your fullness and your touch. I thank you for opening our eyes of understanding and filling us filling us 
with the knowledge of your will. Holy Spirit, I pray, finish the work that you've begun. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want to encourage you that if you're in this place here this morning, God's been dealing with your heart. Just, you know it. He's just challenging you to say, hey, what? Guess what? Let's take a look at our choices. I want to invite you to come to a place called an altar to let God not do a work, but maybe finish a work that He's already begun in you. So there's not going to be any formal prayer of dismissal. The worship team is going to go ahead and begin to 